Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up on this Mental Health Monday as our year-long series on the emotional and psychological effects of COVID-19 draws to a close, we discuss the resources that are available within the community for those who continue to struggle. Also coming up, for as much as the travel industry has struggled over the past year, there are notable exceptions why some Airbnb hosts are prospering despite or perhaps because of the pandemic. And you need a new set of wheels but can't afford to spend a fortune? KBB is out with their list of 2021's coolest cars under $20,000 and under $30,000. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, March 1st, 2021. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. A third coronavirus vaccine is now available. This one from Johnson & Johnson. Brittany Bailey with ONN affiliate WBNS-TV in Columbus reports. Lieutenant Governor John Husted visited a pop-up vaccination site in Westerville this weekend. He talked about how excited he was about a third vaccine. We think March is going to be a big month. I think we can get a million people vaccinated in the month of March. It's going to be a million people that the virus can't attack, the virus can't spread through, and that's going to really help us get to herd immunity. Ohio is expecting 90,000 doses of the new vaccine this week. A wrong way crash at about 3 a.m. this morning on I-71, about three miles north of downtown Columbus, near the state fairgrounds, killed one person and injured two others. The southbound lanes are closed early this morning. A West Central Ohio woman charged with organizing a militia group that took part in the riot at the U.S. Capitol said in court she has disbanded her militia and plans to cancel her membership in the Oath Keepers. The Columbus Dispatch reports 38-year-old Jessica Watkins of Champaign County told a U.S. District Judge she will cut ties with the groups in order to focus on her small business, a bar and grill in which prosecutors allege conspirators met to plan their part in the riots. The judge declined to release Watkins from federal custody, citing her role in organizing the group and the nature of materials seized from her home by investigators. Daniel Barnett... ONN News. And I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. 19 days until spring as of today. 19 days. So yesterday we got a, a bit of a, a taste of what spring is like. Just a reminder of what we have ahead. And I don't know what you did yesterday to uh, spend your... Uh, it feels like it felt like an early spring day. I don't know how you spent it. But based on what I saw on social media uh it sounded as though the one thing that everybody seemed to be doing was scooping up all of the dog dew from their yard <laughs> I, so many posts yesterday on uh, social media on my timeline are people saying well i went out and <laughs> scooped up a month's worth of dog dew from the from the yard so that's always fun yes we did that too uh let's see here so i bring this up because you know it's on a a monday starting off another week maybe you're just rolling out of bed and you don't want to you're having trouble sleeping a big reason why a, a lot of americans are having trouble sleeping is because of their anxiety about the future this is a new poll of 2000 americans Find 62% said they struggle to fall asleep, and of those, 41% said it is due to anxiety about the next day. So again, 
You know, we're starting off this new week, and maybe this applies to you. Uh, other reasons given in the survey uh, included replaying the day's events. 37% say they can't fall asleep because they just go over everything that happened in the past day over and over and over again. Uh, being too hot or too cold, 31% said that. Having too much caffeine earlier in the day, 28% uh, said that keeps them from other things like uh, feeling uncomfortable, being itchy, a fear of nightmares, being kept up by their dog or cat. Some of the reasons why we are not sleeping enough. Once people are asleep, they're having more stress-related dreams. According to the survey, half report more, more of those types of dreams this year than ever before, which is probably not surprising. When asked about the source of those dreams, an equal number named the pandemic and money problems. Uh, respondents shared some of the things they do to fall asleep and stay asleep. Maybe this will help. Having a little wine, aromatherapy, reading, using a nasal rinse, watching, watching boring documentaries, <laughs> and finding a way to get comfortable. So those are some things that you can try next time. Not now. Now you got to get up. I just, you know. Anyway, I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting for a Monday that that should happen to pop up on the uh, the stories on the uh, Newswire. Kind of uh, kind of interesting things. By the way, if you need a reason to celebrate today in this first day of March, it is National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. It is also National Pig Day, National Wedding Planning Day. Plan a solo vacation day. Today is Refired, Not Retired Day. Refired not retired day. Uh, organizers say it is a day to decide that this is the start of life part two and to reinvent, rekindle, and refire your life in retirement. So for those who are at or near retirement, refire, not retired day. It is self-injury awareness day, share a smile day, and world compliment day. Well, we need those things. Share a smile day and world compliment day. Amen to that. This is kind of interesting. Canada uh, has an interesting idea. Neighbors, neighbors to the north will be mailing blank postcards to residents starting today. The government of Canada starting today will mail blank postcards to every residential address in the country. It is part of that nation's postal services campaign called right here right now w-r-i-t-e right here right now it's a campaign that launched uh, launched late last year to encourage canadians to write letters and postcards to others physically write to others as a way to stay connected during the pandemic six versions of the postcards will be sent out randomly with canada post saying each one offers a simple message of love appreciation or thanks the ceo of canada post doug ettinger said canadians should quote think of someone you're close to but who has been farther away than you'd like and then write them what you feel the postage paid postcard can then be mailed for free as part of the initiative uh, in Canada, like in the U.S., there has been a big drop in letter mail, physical mail, in recent years because of the Internet. They say it's time we picked up a pen and actually 
wrote things down, you know, write things down and uh, send people actual letters again. And there you go. Yeah, that's, I don't know, is sending out posts, how much is that costing? I just, I wonder how it's a good idea. You know, I like the idea, but they're going to send out the postcards to every residential address. And, of course, they're not making any money on that because it's an initiative of the Postal Service in Canada. So they're doing that. And then the postage on the postcards when you mail them out, that is free as well. So I'm not sure how much this is costing, but uh, anyway, it's kind of a... I like the idea. I just wonder how much it's going to end up costing the folks at Canada Post who probably are uh, tight on funds to begin with. But anyway... Uh, a couple of other uh, interesting uh, stories on the Newswire this morning, among the first things you need to know this morning. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, of course, he has been uh, under fire uh, for uh, some of his uh, transgressions with female staffers. story has been in the news over the past few days. This has nothing to do with that. But I thought it was interesting because uh, in the state of New York, as in Ohio, uh, gatherings have been, well, virtually everywhere, not just New York, Ohio, just about everywhere. Gatherings have been uh, very much restricted over the past several months. So in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, recently gave the go-ahead for wedding receptions to be allowed once again in the state uh, beginning March 15th. Uh, but things are not going back yet to the way they were before the pandemic. And that includes even how guests are allowed to dance at the reception. Uh, it says here, after wedding receptions return, the venues will be limited to 50% of capacity, up to 150 guests, and everyone will be required to be tested for the coronavirus beforehand. But this is what I thought was really interesting about this. Live music and other entertainers, DJs, and you've got a, you've got a band or you've got a DJ, at your wedding reception, that's fine. But if members of the band or if the DJ is unmasked or playing a wind instrument, they will have to be separated from guests by 12 feet or a physical barrier. Uh, and when guests hit the dance floor, they will only be able to do so with members of their immediate party, household fan, uh, immediate part that they will only be able to dance with members of their immediate party household, or family seated at the same table. They will have to wear face masks and stay in what are being called dancing areas or dance zones, which should be at least 36 square feet and at least 6 feet apart from other dance zones. And guests are not allowed to change dance zones. <laughs> so those are the restrictions in the state of New York. I don't know what will happen in Ohio uh, when restrictions are limit, are lifted on uh, gatherings like wedding receptions. But boy, doesn't that sound like a party? Man, that sounds like a... <laughs> that sounds like a party I want to go to. Here is your dance zone. You may not change dance zones. You may only dance with those at your, at your table. Uh, <laughs> wow. Hmm. <clears throat> It's uh, just another uh, example of this. All of this cannot end quickly enough. You know, it was a year ago next week that it, 
when when we get to next week, we're, we'll hit the one-year anniversary in the state of Ohio of all of these lockdowns and the school closures and everything else. One-year anniversary next week, so not end soon enough. And uh, I guess this is a, a bit of a related note to that. Uh, the Brewers Association, a trade group for independent independent brewers, beer brewers, has released this year's style guide. I didn't know they put out a style guide for independent brewers. The Brewers Association has uh, added four new styles of beer to this year's style guide. This is big news. New Zealand-style pale ale, New Zealand-style IPA, Kentucky common beer, and Belgian-style session ale. The new styles will be featured in the Brewer Association's Great American Beer Festival competition set for this fall. The official style guidelines suggest that the beers were added in part because of their more common availability in the commercial market and not necessarily because they are new to beer drinkers. So, new official styles of beer. New official varieties of beer. That may be the biggest news you hear all day today. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, There you go. Some of the uh, more interesting, more buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at FindlayRotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. So, it's been almost a full year since the beginning of the pandemic lockdowns, schools being canceled, uh, restrictions on gatherings, businesses being closed, and so on. And for the bulk of the next couple of weeks, we're going to highlight kind of a a year of COVID and uh, where we are now as compared to uh, where we were then and the outlook for restarting everything as we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, which the, the closer it gets, the more we can see that it actually is a light at the end of the tunnel, not the light from another oncoming train. Um, for the past year, uh, we've been uh, highlighting in our Mental Health Mondays series the emotional and psychological effects brought on by COVID-19. And as we draw that series to a close here after a full year, I want to talk about some of the resources that are available within the community for those to continue to struggle. And uh, Zach Thomas with the uh, Adamus Board is uh, with us uh, in the uh, studio this morning. And, and Zach, I, would one of the... I guess maybe silver linings of this, if you wanted to find some sort of silver lining in all of this, be that maybe there is a greater understanding, a greater appreciation, um, less of a stigma uh, with respect to these mental health uh, issues, because no matter how much we talk about it, 
this year has really driven the point home for a lot of folks who find that they uh, are struggling with some of these issues. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. There's been more attention paid to uh, mental health and uh, issues that people struggle with, particularly in isolation. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has really been um, a shared trauma that we've all yeah. gone through together mm -hmm. and and people that may never have experienced isolation or loneliness have been forced to kind of face that and so we really yeah. put a light on that issue for those who when all of this started were already dealing with some of these issues has the pandemic made it uh made it more difficult or has there been in a strange way some sort of misery loves company kind of thing going on well, I think for some, it probably became even of a greater challenge, particularly mm -hmm. those that were already um, isolated or those that are already struggling, find, trying to find those connections. Mm -hmm. uh, but because we've all been forced to find those connections, it's, it's created those opportunities for people to reach out even more yeah. and find unique ways and new ways to make ways uh, to connections with others. Mm -hmm. Again, we talk about, you know, we're a year in, uh, we're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. We have these uh, vaccines. We're starting to see more things open up and and fewer restrictions um where are we now with respect to the mental health aspect uh, based on what you've seen and your anecdotal evidence uh here locally we do people start to um get back to normal in terms of those struggles with those mental health issues have they learned to adapt or is this still as big an issue as it was at the beginning well i th i think it's all the above um i think because there's been more attention paid we have uh ways to more quickly reach out but we know that the effects of the pandemic are going to be long lasting particularly when it ta when we come to mental health issues um, they're not going to disappear as soon as, you know, we reopen and everything's back up to speed. Mm -hmm. um, so people will continue to struggle and um, maybe in some ways has exacerbated that for some, but we've been able to increase our resources in ways that, that can help mitigate that more effectively. Is there the risk that as we get, as things get back to more of some semblance of normal, that we... Uh, go back to discounting some of those uh, issues and the fact that people uh, in some cases will be struggling long after it's quote unquote over for others yeah i think there's always there's always a risk that once we go back to the regular you know what we would consider normal life right. um that we'll kind of forget yeah. and i think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we don't and make sure that all of those opportunities we've created to create connections, that we continue to do that even once, you know, the vaccines have all been distributed and people are up and running again. And again, speaking to those who are struggling, there is no expiration date on those feelings that you that you have, uh, depression, anxiety, those feelings of uh, isolation, because I'm sure that in the minds of many, uh, they can, they'll be asking themselves, well, why can't I snap out of it? it if it was the, the pandemic and the lockdowns that uh, had me thrown for a loop, as, we, as those are, go away, why can't I just go back to where I was before all of this? Well, I think part of that comes from our, our misunderstanding of, of mental health um, and mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, and that you're right, there is no expiration date on, on that. But we need to come to, you know, come to realization that mental health is the same as physical health. And if we treat the whole body and the whole person, 
you know, it is a journey. It's a long-term process to mm-hmm. get to that sense of recovery that we all hope for. Mm-hmm. Uh, to put it into uh, maybe a metaphor that people can understand, uh, after you recover from an injury, there is a time of physical therapy before you were fully healed. And, and so we may be dealing with some of that even after the immediate issue is over. Yeah. Some lingering effects. Yeah, even, even when people are struggling with substance use disorder, we yeah. talk about uh, recovery checkups. Mm-hmm. Just like someone who maybe has uh, been diagnosed with cancer and then is in remission, you know, they continue to see their doctor to make sure it stays in remission. So mm-hmm. we, we want to have the same sort of practice when it comes to recovery from substance use or mental illness. So the bottom line message that we want to send, again, is we kind of put the cap on this year-long series. We get into... Uh, this period of transition back to some semblance of normalcy uh, is to not necessarily expect that you're going to flip the switch and everything is going to get uh, better immediately. So if you are struggling with those issues, there is help uh, available. There is. Our, our, our agencies locally are always uh, available um, we have our 24-hour crisis hotline people can call. Um, we just recently launched our updated recovery resources guide, which is available digitally, um, that lists a whole host of services that are related to treatment and recovery and harm reduction and other supports that people may need. You mentioned the uh, resource guide, and we want to uh, specifically highlight that because that is an ongoing thing that obviously uh, any time that, that people are struggling with any of these issues, any mental health uh, concern, uh, you can find all kinds of, of resources in this guide. As you said, it's available digitally from your website, and you also have actual physical copies out in the community as well. We do. Um, we have a large number of them that have already been distributed, but uh, they are available from our office if anyone would like to stop by and pick some up. Um, and it's an output of the task force, the Opioid and Addictions Task Force. Um, it's it's a community-based process where they review the document on a yearly basis to make sure everything's up to date, mm-hmm. uh, to make sure we're giving the most current information out to our community. Yeah, so you know you're not getting any uh, outdated or bad phone numbers or anything like that. And you mentioned that it is, uh, even though it is a project of the uh, task force, uh, Opiate Addiction Task Force, not limited to just addiction resources and that kind of thing. Correct. It encompasses mental health as well. And so where would folks uh, find that uh, resource guide? So if they visit our website, yourpathtohealth.org, there is a button right at the top of the page that says download the resources guide. They can click on that there. We do have that uh, linked up. As a matter of fact, at that uh, website, we should mention there are any number of resources that will be available for individuals who are struggling. Correct. Um, not just the resource guide, but but other initiatives and projects and agencies and services available. Hotline phone numbers and that's all cr- of that. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, for those who uh, continue to struggle uh, long after this uh, pandemic is over and long after for some of us it's you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind, uh, this is definitely going to be a continuing issue for others. And uh, we want to make sure that we highlight that. We've got it linked up at goodmornings.net. Again, Zach Thomas, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Mental Health Mondays this morning. Well, we've mentioned a couple of times that travel is the thing that most people are looking forward to resuming post-pandemic. But to be honest, for as much as the travel and tourism industry has struggled over the past year, some are doing just fine. Thank you very much. A new report from Airbnb found that since the start of the pandemic, new hosts on the platform have earned a billion dollars worldwide. Joining us now is the head of global 
public affairs at Airbnb, Christopher Nolte. And Christopher, you point out that for many of those hosts, this income that they have generated from sharing their homes has been something of a financial safety net amid all of the uncertainty, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's crazy to think that it's been one year since the pandemic started. And, yeah. and of course, in that time, so much has changed, uh, and including the way we travel, right? You know, when we talk to guests, uh, that we've heard two things. You know, people want safety and comfort when they travel, and they're traveling in order to spend time with friends and family in a space that, you know, feels safe. And, you know, amidst economic hardship, amidst, you know, a year that has been, you know, uh, pretty unstable, this shift has really created an opportunity for people, you know, wanting to share their homes. And so, you know, as you mentioned, new hosts on Airbnb have earned more than a billion dollars worldwide since March. Um, and on average, it's about $3,900 uh, per host in the United States. And, you know, what's interesting is that when we're talking to hosts, what we're hearing is that, you know, three in 10 are using, uh, you know, that money to pay their mortgage. One in four are using that money to pay down debt. And so, you know, for so many, this is creating an important economic opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting and a bit surprising, frankly, because as we mentioned, we know how badly the travel and tourism industry has been hurt by all of this. And I take it the, the key to understanding the numbers is in, as you were alluding to, recognizing this shift in consumer travel preferences. Uh, expand a little bit on that. Yeah, you know, the future is so impossible to predict, but what we know is that people want to travel. And as you mentioned, you know, the thing that people really miss most, more than sports, restaurants, bars, concerts, is travel. And, you know, more than half of consumers plan to travel in 2021. And, you know, Airbnb hosts are really benefiting from this shift. There's a, a pent-up demand, you know, people yearning to get out of their house. But, you know, a year or two ago, we might have been talking about, you know, flying across the country or around the globe. And now what we're really talking about is people who are getting in their car and filling the tank of gas and driving, you know, 150 or two mile, 200 miles away um, and exploring, you know, communities nearby. Um, and, you know, as people are traveling and they're spending time with friends and family, uh, you know, Airbnb is really just better equipped to handle groups over hotels. You know, when, when friends and family connect, what they want is space to relax. What they want is a kitchen to cook together. And, you know, that's something that our, that our hosts, uh, you know, provide. So, um, you know, Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say just to just to interact, interject. So the the biggest uh, questions then are uh, first, do you expect these uh, trends to that we've seen over the past year to continue post pandemic? I mean, what's your your best guess? Uh, what's your prognostication? Again, as you mentioned, hard to tell exactly what's going to happen in the future. But is this something of, of a lasting trend in your estimation? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a couple you know trends that are important here. One, you know, as as more people are able to have some flexibility in where they work from, uh, you know, the idea of you know working uh, while you're traveling becomes much more real. And, and one of the things that we saw this summer was that instead of people going away for long weekends, they were going away for two or three weeks, and you know they were working from someone else's home, uh, you know, on the Airbnb platform. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, second, you know, we know that after a year of people, uh, you know, spending so much time alone and away from their friends and away from their family, what people really want is connection. And, you know, what Airbnb hosts offer is, you know, sort of that local insight into the community. There's something very different about, you know, checking in and showing up at someone's home with a fully stocked kitchen and a living room with, 
a bunch of great books and a really comfortable couch that's so different than a traditional hotel and really speaks to what people um, are, are looking for. And, and what we certainly know is that we've seen that that, that pent up travel demand means that you know people are looking for places to stay and they're not just looking for big cities and small towns they're looking for rural communities uh you know communities near the mountains and communities near bodies of water and there's a real opportunity for people who who want to you know share their home and earn some additional income and then the the next question becomes obviously this uh influx of revenue has been tremendous for hosts but it also means uh opportunities for growth uh, for you as a platform uh, for a- Airbnb. So what role do you see these hosts playing moving forward for Airbnb? Yeah, you know, we have we are a, a platform that is built uh, and powered by our hosts. Hosts are really what make um, the Airbnb experience different and special, and they are really at the center uh, of everything, you know, that we do. They're, they're, you know, we think of them as our superpower. Um, but it's not just about uh, our hosts and their hospitality. It's also about the unique spaces um, that our hosts create, you know, from, uh, you know, historic homes and city centers to, you know, yurts and to tree houses and lake houses uh, and castles in the south of France. Um, you know, our, our hosts not only offer great hospitality, but they also, you know, create these really cool and interesting spaces. And that's what makes Airbnb unique. That's what makes us different. And that's why so many people, you know, come to Airbnb when they're thinking about their next trip. So, as you mentioned, uh, it's been less about uh, people going to the traditional destination spots. Uh, with that in mind, what are some of the top earning travel destinations from the past year? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because we, we saw that, uh, you know, places, you know, new hosts in, in Atlanta earned $8 million, but you know, at the same time, new hosts in, uh, you know, the, the Smoky Mountain region of mm. Tennessee earned $9 million. We saw, you know, uh, you know, hosts in the Poconos of Pennsylvania earned $7 million. Um, and these are just new hosts uh, who are, you know, earning these dollars. Yeah. Um, what was interesting is that top owning, earning hosts are really everywhere because, again, what people wanted and what they continue to want is to get out of the house and to, you know, explore new places. And so it wasn't just about sort of the, the traditional hotspots. And, you know, we, we do expect to see people continuing to do that in, in the months and years to come. Well, that's what I was kind of leading to. Is this something that anyone can do, even if we are not in what you might ordinarily consider to be a tourist, quote unquote, tourist destination? Yeah, you know, one of the things that Airbnb, I think, has seen over the, you know, 12 years that we've been around is that at big moments in communities, you know, home sharing plays a really important role in, you know, allowing, uh, you know, a, a community to be able to host a big event. You know, one of the biggest nights uh, every other year in Columbus uh, for Airbnb is the, the Michigan-Ohio game, right? You sure. know, people uh, are looking for a place to stay. Uh, and, you know, the Airbnb platform, you know, makes that possible. Uh, and so, you know, I think I was having a conversation with an old college professor recently who's in a small town and said, man, I just realized that there's such an opportunity during parents weekend and during graduation weekend for me mm-hmm. to share my home. And, you know, we certainly expect trends like that to continue. Yeah. Again, Christopher Nolte is the head of global public affairs at Airbnb. And where do we get more information about all of this that we're talking about? Yeah, so if uh, you're looking for a place to stay, Airbnb.com is the place to go. And if you're thinking about becoming an Airbnb host, check out Airbnb.com slash host, and we will give you all the details you need. Christopher, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Well, this is uh, one way to deal with a uh, vehicle theft when your car gets stolen. Today's uh, report on the odd and unusual side of the news, the broken news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This happened, uh, let's see here, Thursday morning in the Denver suburb of Englewood, Colorado. A report from the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office says the owner of a stolen truck jumped into the back of the vehicle and rode with the perpetrators for about 10 miles. So here's the story. Uh, This guy, and it it doesn't give his name, uh, he had uh, his truck at the uh, Homewood Suites Hotel there in Englewood. Uh, He comes out of the building to turn it on, and I don't know if he was staying there or whether he works there, but that's beside the point. So he comes out to start his truck in the morning to warm it up. And then as he is walking back to the building, he sees a man and a woman jump in and steal his truck. And as he watches the whole thing happen, it swings around to where he was standing. So he jumps in the bed of the truck uh, and, and rode with the thieves for like 10 miles. He was in the bed of the truck until the perpetrators stopped and attempted to steal another truck in the parking lot of a convenience store. And that's when the victim jumped out of the bed of the truck and detained the man and the woman until police could arrive and take them into custody. Here's the kicker on the whole thing. Not only were they arrested for auto theft, but also because they took the owner of the truck for a wild 10-mile ride, (laughs) <laughs> they also got him for kidnapping. <laughs> well, there you go. <clears throat> okay. Here's another uh, story of uh, victim crime victim fighting back. And just because someone is old doesn't mean they can't come at you. Security camera footage in Australia captured the scene of an elderly woman chasing down a man who allegedly nabbed her purse at a local pub. In the video, the woman appears to run barefoot after the man who had... Why she was barefoot, I have no idea, the pub. But uh, she was running barefoot after the man who had reportedly ripped her purse out of her hands at the Pimpana Tavern on the Gold Coast of Australia. The alleged thief only makes it half a block away from the pub before the woman catches up to him, grabs his shoulders, and throws him to the ground. (laughs) She even managed to get the man in a headlock before latching on to her bag, getting her bag back. The man then tries to pull on the purse for a few more moments, even dragging the woman on the ground before retreating to his car. The woman then grabs her bag and walks back to the pub as the alleged thief flees in a a white truck. He's still at large, but she got her bag back. (laughs) Went back to the pub like nothing happened. You go, Grandma. Uh, Let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, police in Virginia say Travis Baker, age 38, was first busted just before midnight on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, when he allegedly sideswiped another car in Stafford County. And a deputy found a controlled substance in his car during the arrest. So he was charged with DUI, possession of a controlled substance, and driving on a suspended license. 
It was released at 7.15 a.m. on Wednesday, and an hour and a half later, he allegedly crashed a box truck into the woods while intoxicated again. He was then arrested again after he failed field sobriety tests while uh, slurring his words. Deputy also found a controlled substance inside that truck. So he was again hit with the same three charges and a count of reckless driving thrown in on top of that. Uh, this time, he was held in jail without bond. you got to be quite talented to be arrested basically for the same thing twice in less than 12 hours. I mean, think about it. <laughs> there is that. This is a strange story out of South Texas. Border Patrol agents in Laredo uh, took into custody a group of illegal immigrants <laughs> uh, following an ice cream truck bust. Apparently, uh, agents spotted people piling into an ice cream truck uh, when the driver was pulled over. More than a dozen illegal immigrants piled out. It was like a clown car <laughs> ice cream truck. They were all from Guatemala and Mexico, were taken into custody, and the uh, owners of the truck charged with human trafficking. But human trafficking by ice cream truck. I just thought that was rather unusual, not a story that you hear very often. Fortunately, everybody going to be okay in that one. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, the story of Richard White, age 37, of Torrington, Connecticut, who went from working as an emergency medical technician to being known as the Molotov Man. He was arrested and charged in a string of attacks with Molotov cocktails across the state that targeted, that targeted two emergency medical services agencies, a volunteer fire department, and a private residence on the same day. Uh, Mr. White is or was an employee of the Connecticut-based Hunter's Ambulance Agency, according to a statement from the uh, Meridian Police Department. While uh, White's uh, colleague told police that he was involved in a physical altercation with another employee early Saturday after being placed on administrative leave. Uh, no reason given, but you can probably guess given what he did next. Um, he uh, fled before police arrived. Uh, Mr. White then uh, targeted the Hunter's Ambulance Agency along the Connecticut shoreline, lit one of his Molotov cocktails in the employee room. An hour later, he circled back to his home base and was spotted throwing a lit Molotov cocktail uh, at the building. He then uh, traveled to the Roxbury Volunteer Fire Department and attacked it with cocktails before targeting a house about two miles away from that. Police believe the house was uh, his childhood home. <laughs> why he charged... I have no idea why this guy would have been char put on uh, put on leave. <laughs> why, why they would have said, hey, we're not sure we want you around here anymore. Uh, he is being held on a $150,000 bond awaiting extradition back to Connecticut. He was picked up in Pennsylvania. Former emergency medical technician who uh, just went bonkers there. I don't know, just. You wonder about people sometimes. You have no idea why he would have lost his job. Can't imagine. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news. This uh, report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, 
of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Anecdotally, we've known that people have been driving less during the pandemic. You've noticed roads have been less crowded and all of that. And it just stands to reason. Uh, because a lot of people were commuting to work a lot less, some not commuting at all, working from home. And, of course, uh, less travel uh, going on over the past year. But just how much less we have been driving, uh, we now have the numbers, and they are staggering. Reuters says that drivers in the U.S. accumulated 13.2% fewer miles in 2020. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but that translates to... 430.2 fewer, 430.2 billion fewer vehicle miles driven in 2020 as compared to 2019. Road travel nationwide fell 10.3% in December after dropping 11.1% in November amid COVID-19 winter surge. Drivers in the final month of 2020 logged 244.1 billion vehicle miles that is 28.1 billion vehicle miles fewer than the same time in 2019 now obviously like we said remote work uh less travel uh the the biggest factors in all of this but just because we're driving, I mean, those numbers are staggering, 28.1 billion fewer vehicle miles in the final month of 2020 uh, than the final month of 2019. That is uh, amazing because, again, usually last month of the year, holiday season, people driving, all that, that is a huge drop-off. But how many miles did we drive in 2020? Uh, two. trillion total vehicle miles driven. So even though it dropped 13.2%, we're still driving a lot. 2.83 trillion total vehicle miles driven in 2020. And that is 13% less than normal. Did you realize we drove that much in a normal year? It's amazing. Always love talking with our next guest, KBB.com senior editor Micah Musio. Kelly Blue Book out with their list of the coolest cars under 20000 and the coolest cars under $30,000. And Micah, good to have you with us this morning. And I know it is not always about price, even in times such as these where... You know, a lot of folks uh, struggling economically, but I would imagine, given the realities that we uh, have today, has uh, price become more of a uh, a priority for most folks uh, these days? You know what's funny? It's counterintuitive, but the average transaction price in America has actually gone up. 
Um, so people are buying SUVs in greater numbers, and SUVs tend to have higher transaction prices. So the average transaction price now is $40,000. Mm. At the same time, even though a lot of people are buying more expensive vehicles, there are a lot of people that can't afford those vehicles. And so you've got this split. And one of the things I love about working at Kelly Blue Book, I've been there for 14 years. Every year that I've been there, we've done this list of the coolest cars under $20,000. And even though that transaction price is getting so much higher, there's still a ton of really cool cars out there that people who are mindful of their budget can afford. So that's one of the reasons why this is so significant. We want to talk about it because some of those folks who may think that they uh, are not able to be in the market for a new vehicle because that price keeps going up and up, there are still some awesome options. And aside from the price tag, uh, obviously, is the lists would uh would tell you you know the price is uh important here but what are some of the other criteria that go into selecting the vehicles that made each of these lists yeah well you know at kelly blue book we drive everything and so we've got a pretty good sense of the automotive landscape but uh, you know what we're looking for are vehicles that uh, move you emotionally when you look at them so really great styling we want cars that are fun to drive and then uh, the third element are features that people will uh, really enjoy and find cool. So I think a really great place to start off would be um, by an example, looking at our cool cars under $20,000 list, the Toyota Corolla hatchback. And I think it's a really good example because the word Corolla and cool have rarely gone together. (laughs) They've traditionally been uh, not a very cool car. And what's amazing is that the latest generation is cool. Uh, Toyota's done a great job styling it. That hatchback design looks really sleek. To me, it looks like an import tuner car from a few years ago, except you can buy it right from the dealership. Um, And they've got this really neat vivid blue paint scheme called uh, Flame Blue. You can even get a contrasting black roof. Uh, I also think it's cool, too. I'm a little bit old school. But you can get a manual transmission with mm. that uh, Corolla hatchback as well. And I think, I mean, I don't know, when was the last time you drove a car with a manual yeah, transmission? I was going to say, and I, I think we've talked about this before, that's kind of a, a disappearing breed uh, to have a vehicle with a, a manual transmission. What are some of the other uh, vehicles that are on that list? Yeah, another vehicle would be the new Chevrolet Trailblazer. You know, I mentioned that people like SUVs in America, and this Trailblazer is a subcompact SUV. So if you want an SUV, but you don't want to blow your budget, you can get a Trailblazer under $20,000. And what's so cool is that in addition to, you know, really emotional styling, I mean, you look at the thing, and it's just, it kind of looks like a concept car. They even have a, a copper paint scheme that is very much like the concept cars of not too long ago. Hmm. So it's got the look. Uh, it's ton- tons of fun to drive, but on the feature side of things, um, in addition to like the active safety features, kind of like a Corolla has where, you know, lane keeping assist, it'll automatically keep itself within its lane. It'll warn you if you're about to depart your lane and help steer you back in, which is neat. But it's also got a standard seven inch touchscreen, an optional eight inch touchscreen is available. And so you've got this, uh, all this real estate, the screen real estate. Um, you know, that's one of those things that used to be a, like a, a, an add on. You'd have to throw a bunch of money to get that screen space. Mm-hmm. And now it's just expected. And that's in a car that's less than $20,000. So uh, what about the coolest cars under $30,000? Let's hit a couple of the highlights here. I mean, I think a big highlight, I don't know if you can find more fun 
for less money than the Mazda MX-5 Miata. You can get a, a Miata for about $27,000. And I mean, I know we're in the middle of winter right now, but spring is coming. And just imagine flipping that top back, wind in your hair, find a windy road somewhere nearby. And uh, I mean, that to me is just the epitome of cool. And then the other one that I'd like to point out, um, people may not even know it exists yet, but uh, Ford brought back the Bronco and they've got a, a small version called the Bronco Sport. And the Bronco Sport is super cool because it looks like a Bronco, um, but it's more affordably priced, starting around $27,000. The thing that's cool about the Bronco is that four-wheel drive comes standard. And I spent, you know, a few days driving the Bronco around the mountains of California here, and that thing is legit. It's a serious off-roader. We drove over some stuff that kind of blew my mind. And I just love that you can get that kind of rugged uh, off-road experience in a relatively affordable package, and it looks cool, too. And uh, how cool is it that this is one of the most buzzed-about vehicles, new vehicle uh, introductions in quite some time, and yet uh, you can get in to one uh, for under $30,000 in the in this case, because I don't think a lot of people would have uh, thought that uh, based on the kind of buzz uh, and the kind of demand that it is in. So uh, again, we've hit a few of the highlights here, the KBB list of coolest cars under $20,000 and under $30,000. You've got the complete lists on your website, right? That's right. Yeah. If you're uh, buying, selling or researching cars, or if you just want to have a kind of a, a conversation starter, like, oh, here's what's available. That's cool. Uh, check out our KBB, um, you know, dot com list over at KBB.com. It's, it's, it's a pretty great resource. If you haven't bought a car in a while, there's a lot to learn. So KBB.com can help you out. Absolutely. Terrific stuff. And again, uh, KBB senior editor Micah Musio with us this morning. Micah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And that is our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about at our webpage. Once again, that is goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on our various social media channels linked up from the website. Contact us directly via email. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Goodmornings.net for all things Good Mornings. Coming up tomorrow on the program is approval of Johnson & Johnson's single-dose vaccine. Does that mean a faster rollout uh, for everyone, particularly in smaller population centers like Northwest Ohio? Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti will uh, join us, weigh in on this latest development, this new vaccine. Plus, we'll talk more about their mobile uh, health clinic that they uh, took the wraps off last week. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning, going out and making it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.